Let's see. Don't forget, here's the Bible read schedule, and that'll be out on a foyer, or you can go on to our website, blesscolumbia.org, and you can find the schedule there. I'm going to need somebody to take these back at some point. Take them back, would you, Pauline? Thank you. Maybe just take a few moments and greet your neighbor. Let them know how much you care about them as we set up here. Okay, find your seats and thank you for your patience. I'm sorry. Yeah. Last call, find your seats. I love that sound. Sweet fellowship, but we need to get started. Some of you have holiday plans, right? Fourth of July plans. No, you don't? Okay, great. We can stay here all day then. I got plenty to say. I don't even look at that clock, Steve. So by way of introduction and review, last week we had Ephesians 1.3. The title of the sermon was Blessed in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, present tense, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we said, just after these first three verses, Ephesians is a deeply spiritual, mystical book. We want to try and keep it as simple and as relatable as possible. It's deep, spiritual, mystical truth, but we want to be able to relate to it. Keeping it as simple and relatable as possible, but it may not be possible. To begin last week, we needed to gain a good understanding of what in Christ means. Because the book of Ephesians, that's the foundation, that's the base, that's the solid rock. The whole book revolves around this phrase, in Christ, found in some form 36 times in the book. The phrase in Christ, in the Lord, in him, accepted in the beloved, on and on, is an extremely important New Testament concept. Depending which version you read, it's mentioned as many as eight times in today's passage. The older versions use it exclusively. In Christ, in Christ, in him, in the Lord, in Christ. The newer versions, just to make it more readable and, and not so repetitive, have, have inserted other expressions, but they mean the same thing. There's nothing lost. More importantly on how many times it's used and how many times it occurs is that the phrase, the expression in Christ, what it refers to. It refers to those who have come to know Jesus. Chris introduced a new Bible read. The new Bible read is entitled Born Again. When you come to know Jesus, you become born again. When you become born again, you've come to know Jesus. And when that happens, Scripture refers to folks as in Christ. Those who know Jesus, 
those who are faithfully living out of and living out a personal relationship with him. It's not enough. Are you listening to me? This is where I erred for many years in my life. It's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You need to come to know him. Personal relationship. Without that, no eternal life. This is eternal life, that you know the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Don't miss heaven by that little phrase, knowing about God versus knowing him. But anyhow, after we came to understand that again, we focused mostly on this phrase or this concept of heavenly realms. And we discovered that phrase or that expression is only mentioned six times. In all of Scripture. But from those six verses, we learn some interesting stuff about the heavenly realms. We don't need to rehash that again. We had it last week. You can listen to the podcast. Let's move on to today's stuff. Will you stand with me, please? Justin's coming. He's going to read Ephesians Chapter 1, verses, four through, no, verses 3 through 14. <clears throat> All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered, <clears throat> he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. You may be seated. So at our elders meeting on Monday night, we were talking about this series in Ephesians, and we were talking about how sort of spiritually heavy the book is. And I said, yeah, it's like sermon, you know, they're heavy. And somebody said, well, why don't you preach a heavy, hard-hitting one, and then a light one, and then a heavy, hard-hitting one, and then a light one? Well, you heard what Justin just read. There are no light ones. They're all hard, heavy-hitting, deeply spiritual, deeply mystical verses. We're just going to have to buckle up. 
That is not the title. I changed the title, but it didn't change, I think, when I restarted the iPad. The title was Blessed in Christ Part 2, but instead it's become Loved, Loved, L-O-V-E-D, Loved and Chosen. So today, what we're going to do, we looked at in Christ, we looked at the heavenly realms. The other phrase in that verse last week, verse 3, was spiritual blessings. Today we're going to begin looking at the spiritual blessings that belong to those who are in Christ. And this actually may develop into a mini-series, I'm thinking, within the main series. It's going to be messages along a who we are in Christ type thinking. Who we are, what's our position in Christ. So much more happened to you when you accepted Christ than you realize, than I realize. That's why we need to be discipled. You can't accept Christ and then just go on your way. It says make disciples, teaching them. There's so much. There's a very profound verse in the scripture. It's in the Gospels. I'm not sure exactly where. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and you could tell his, his heart was like full, and it was heavy at the same time. And he said to his disciples, I have so much. I have so much I want to tell you. But you can't bear it now. You got to grow in the Christian life. You got to grow in this journey, this process of faith to where God can begin to feed us more and more of the deeper stuff that we need to be effective ministers, effective kingdom workers for him. So although Justin read 11 verses for us today, we're only going to be discussing one verse, verse 4. This is our fourth sermon in Ephesians, and we're already up to verse 4. I'm not saying it's going to be one verse per day, honestly. But right now it is. So today's text, verse 4. You know, some messages are very ouchy. Some messages are very challenging. Some messages are very informative. And in some messages, God just says, I want to encourage you, my beloved. I want to encourage you, my followers. That's this lesson today. God wants to encourage us. Some of us are very weary soldiers in this battle. Some of us have forgotten some of the basic truths that encouraged us when we were first Christians. And God wants to bring that back. And he wants to encourage us and strengthen us. That would be his purpose today. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. There's so much here, we could spend all day here. We can't rush this. We can't rush through Ephesians. Like I said, maybe not one verse per week, but we can't rush it. We need to take our time. We need to examine it thoroughly. We need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And we need to give him time to help us understand what he's saying to the church. First, in this verse, it says... Before he made the world, before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Think about that. Before he made the world, 
So if you are in Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then before Genesis 1-1, before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, before Genesis 1-1, God loved you and chose you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just so we know, there's a lot of other teaching out there. Just so we know, God created the world. He created the universe, and he created everything in it. And he created it at a certain point in time. We want to learn something about God here. He created the world in a certain point in time. So, actually... Time. Time began when God created the world. Before that, there was no time. Before that, there was no clock to take down in the back, Steve. There was no time before Genesis 1-1. And at the close of history in Revelation 22, there will again be no time. We will enter a timeless eternity with the Lord, just as it was prior to Genesis 1-1. Before Genesis 1-1, no time. After Revelation 22, no time. In between, we live in time and space. Another just so we know. We live in time and space. God does not. God exists outside of time. God is not limited by time or by space. God lives in the eternal now, meaning there's no past and there's no future for God. There's only present. And again, it would take us all day. We could talk about that thought all day, what that means. He lives in the eternal now. Everything is present tense to God. Not only that, he's everywhere at the same time. Now, these are things that your brain doesn't understand. After Genesis 3, sin corrupted our, our brains. That's why don't trust in, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding because you can't understand these things. We can't understand these things anymore. Sin so damaged our thinking. All we can do is take it by faith. That's why God made faith the foundation of his followers' lives. Because you just have to trust him because you can't handle it. And when I say you, that's me too. We can't. We have to take these things by faith. But just because we can't understand them doesn't mean they're not important. They're very important. They play out into our practical Christian life, which we'll see in, verses, in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. When we learn these deep spiritual mystical truths, they do play out in our practical lives. We need to know these things. So God lives in the eternal now, and he's everywhere at the same time. And as we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that some other things that we thought were impossible are very much possible with God. Are you with me? Should we just stop there? Maybe that's enough. So with all that information, let's get back to our thought in Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world, before time began, God loved us. And he chose us. So think about this again. 
God loved you and God loved me and God chose us to have a relationship and eternal life with him before he ever made the world. If we are in Christ. If we've come to Christ. Jeremiah 1.1. God speaking, I knew you before I formed you in, the, in your mother's womb. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, chose you, and I appointed you. For Jeremiah, it was as a prophet to the nations. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were ever born, I set you apart. I chose you, and I appointed you. Hear God speaking those words to you. You are of so much value to God than you ever, ever be willing to believe. Before we were born, God chose us. And God designed a purpose for our lives. That's for those who come to know Jesus. All of this is rolled up into in Christ. Apart from Christ, none of this. Psalm 139, 13 through 18. I wish we could just stop and read the whole psalm, but we needed to pull something out of it. And even this is kind of a compilation of those verses. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched me as I was being formed, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Think about that. The writer also says in this psalm, such knowledge as this is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand. Your thoughts towards me are too numerous and too many. I can't even grasp it. God knew you and me from before we were ever even born. Not only knew us, but actually God was intricately involved in forming us in the womb. And he was intricately involved in our birth. This is true of all humans, this part, not just those who come to Christ. He also knew beforehand all the days of our lives and all the decisions we would make. He even knew what the outcome would be of decisions that you didn't make as well as the decisions you did make. Mind-blowing. Can't possibly. Mm -mm. No, what do you think, Julian? You just can't. He also knew the decision you would make to accept Christ. And this is very important because that's what makes all of this possible, all the beforehand stuff. Because he knew you would come to Christ. He knew you would yield your life to Christ. And thus you could be included in Christ. By that foreknowledge, by that knowing, because he's all-knowing, 
because he's everywhere, because he lives in the eternal now. He's outside of time and space. He's not human. He's so far beyond human. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. So by the foreknowledge that he has, by the knowing, he could love us and he could choose us and he could bless us in Christ from before the creation of the world, before we ever came to Christ. Now, of course, we did not know and we could not fully understand and we could not experience those blessings until after we came to Christ in space and time. Are you with me? We could not know it, experience it is probably the better word, until after we were restored to a right relationship with our creator. And he became our father through faith in Christ. We didn't experience it to a moment in space and time, but God knew it beforehand by his foreknowledge because he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knew you would come to Christ. Maybe you're like me. I was not always a pastor. I was not always a Christian. I did many things that I shouldn't have done, and really, I should not be alive. But God knew that I was going to come to Christ on January 16, 1980, and that gave him the right to watch over my life and guide my steps and guard me from the stupid things that I was doing apart from him. Before we continue, I just want to pause, and I do want to give us a serious word. I think it's a serious word. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to camp on this very long, but it needs to be said at this point. Abortion. Abortion messes with the process you see on the screen. God is not pleased... God does not take it lightly when humans mess with this process that you're reading on the screen. Therefore, as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to very seriously consider this. We need to seriously consider Scripture as we adopt our position on the issue of abortion. Think through, think it hard before you come up with a decision. There's so much more to be said about that, but today is not the day. This truth of God's involvement in the formation of the fetus, did you hear me? This truth of God's involvement in the formation of the fetus in the womb is found many places in Scripture. Here are a few. Your hands made me and formed me. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant. Think about that. God is actively involved in the formation of the fetus in the womb, if you believe Scripture. 
Back to our main text, Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So we covered before he made the world. We'll turn our attention to he loved us and he chose us in Christ. Now, does that mean, at first read, surface read, does that mean that God randomly and arbitrarily chooses who will be saved and who will not be saved? Who said no? Thank you. The answer, the quick answer is no. Absolutely not. That is not what it means. All humans have equal aspects. Access. All humans have equal access to salvation in Christ. When I am lifted up from the earth, John 12, 32, I will draw everyone to myself. Now, of course, Jesus is referring to when he is lifted up on the cross at Calvary, he will draw everyone to himself. Or some versions say he will draw all men. That's generic for all men and all women. He will draw all men and all women to himself. He will draw us to the cross. So question, who is included in the word everyone? Who is included in the phrase all men and women? It's not a trick question. Who's included in that word? Everyone, all men and all women have access to salvation through Jesus if we come to the cross. Who is excluded? And again, not a trick question. Who's excluded from the word everyone and from all men and women? No one. No one is excluded from coming to Jesus. John 6.35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Yeah, who's included in the word whoever? Everyone. And who's excluded from the word whoever? No one. This is very important because there are teachings out there, a certain denomination especially, that believes that you don't really have a choice. God arbitrarily chooses who's saved and who is, who isn't. If you are, great. And if you're not, too bad. Sucks to be you. And there are some theological arguments they use for that. But I can't see that as the God that I know. And by the way, it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what Scripture says. And we're proving from Scripture it's open to whoever. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone, anyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So it's not automatic. We have to come to the cross of Christ. He's drawing all of us, but only those who will come and receive him and live according to the criteria become true followers of Christ. Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Whoever will can come. The church is not an exclusive train. Whoever wants to get on board, if you have the right ticket, you can get on board. 
And the ticket is coming to Jesus, coming to his cross, knowing him as your Savior, giving your life to him and following him. 2 Peter 3.9, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because I'm very evangelical, in case you didn't notice that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Does that sound like a God who randomly, arbitrarily says, I'll save you and I won't save you? You're in, but you're out, and there's nothing you can do about it? I'd have a hard time with that. Even though I know that he's chosen me, I know I'm born again. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. If I died right now, there's no question in my mind. I would still have a problem that somebody else was told, no, you can't, and you won't. Scripture is clear. God does not show favoritism. God is no respecter of persons. You're in, you're not. I'll save you, but not your brother, not your neighbor, or whoever. I can't see that as our God, and I don't see that in Scripture. No one is excluded from the opportunity salvation in Christ. No one is excluded from the opportunity of salvation in Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So what does it mean that he loved and he chose us before he even made the world? Maybe you already got the answer. Maybe you've already figured this out. But we're going to try and explain it and make it as simple as possible. God does not choose who can and who can't be in Christ. That choice is ours to make. Is that right, Art? And no one's excluded. There'll be no one in heaven with an excuse, but Lord, I didn't know, I didn't hear, whatever. No. God makes sure that you have the opportunity to come to Christ. That choice is on us. The choice to be in Christ is ours to make. God doesn't make that choice for us. God simply knows who will and who won't come to Jesus. He knows everything. He lives outside of time and space. He lives in the eternal now. He knew you before you, the creation of the world. He knew you before he formed you in his mother's womb. Is it a stretch to say that he knew whether you'd come to Christ or not? And because he knew you would come to Christ, he could begin blessing you before he ever even formed you. I don't know, man. That's... Whew. God chooses in advance to love and bless those whom he knows will choose to come to Christ. It's all about in Christ. And apart from Christ, nothing. Earthly, physical life, then death, then the lake of fire, if you don't know Jesus. No eternal life, no spiritual life, no life of God in us apart from Christ. It's actually very simple. And all of 
from Genesis to Revelation is simply the story of man created perfect, man falling and turning his back on God, and God redeeming man. God making it possible for man to be restored again to right relationship with him. That's what the whole thing's about. That's why I keep saying, yeah, God asks us to do many things, but we got one major primary mission. We need to tell other people about Jesus. Because the bottom line with God is he wants people to come to know Jesus and be saved and receive eternal life. <sighs> because of his foreknowledge, God chooses to love and bless those whom he knows will choose to come to know Jesus. Romans 8.29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He knew in advance who would come to Jesus, and he knew who would reject Jesus. He knew in advance who would receive his grace for salvation, and he knew in advance who would reject his grace for salvation. One quick caveat. We do not know. We're not all knowing. So we can't look at somebody and say, they'll never come. I don't know about you, but there were folks that looked at me and said, he'll never come. Don't even waste your time telling him this stuff. So don't judge anybody, but just know it's true. God already knows who's going to come and who's not to. Who's not going to? All right, let's try to end by making this as personal and relatable as we can. I am, Jamal. This is the legitimate finish. I'm not looking at the clock. This is enough for us for today. So this is what I want you to think about. You might want to close your eyes so you can block out the distractions. Even before God made the world, Genesis 1-1, God loved you. If I had the time, I'd mention every one of you by name. God loved you. And God chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Don't let that put any pressure on you, holy and without fault, because we all know our sin, don't we? I'm going to explain that as we end. Just know that before the creation of the world, God knew you. I wish I could just start speaking out your names. God knew you, and he chose you. That's how precious you are to God. Think about this. Before he created the world, he knew you, emphasis on you and me, us. Before the fall of man, Genesis 3, God knew you. Before you were born, before he formed you in the womb, God knew you. Before you ever knew him, before you ever even cared to know him, he loved you and chose you. Before you ever loved, trusted, or obeyed him, he loved you, loved you and chose you. God was thinking about you back when there was no time and no space. And he was laying the plans for creating the world. He was thinking thoughts about you. Put your name in there. He was thinking about you. 
That's mind-blowing stuff. And there were a lot of us to think about. But that's no problem for God. Let that sink in. And God in his foreknowledge, because he knew you, because he knew you were coming to Christ, he loved you and he had already chosen you to be blessed in Christ. And he already chose the plan and he already chose the blessings and they are yours, present tense. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. He has blessed us. They are already ours, present tense. Of course, Satan has stolen it from us. The world, the flesh, and the devil has stolen these truths from us to water down and make the church impotent. But it's true. It's still true. It's his word. One final thought. This holy and without fault. How many of you see yourself holy and without fault? Nobody. I'm going to look for another church for some holy people in it. <laughs> Good luck. It doesn't exist on this planet. Yeah, there was a guy up at the old E-Town church where Deb and I went before we planted this church in he was a new Christian, and he still had kind of a lot of self-righteousness hanging on him. And he came in for a while. I guess I was an elder. So he came to me one day, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm leaving this church. I'm going somewhere else. I'm looking for another church. And I said, well, why? And he goes, I don't know. I'm just I'm looking for a church that's perfect. I'm looking for a church full of perfect people. When you first get saved and you got that self-righteous thing going, man, that's what you think. And I said, well, good luck because, first of all, it doesn't exist on this earth. Second of all, as soon as you walk in, the church is not perfect anymore. <laughs> because you're not perfect. And none of us are. So what does this mean? To be holy, sort of like perfect, without fault, in his eyes. That's the key phrase. You see your sin. You see your weakness when you look at yourself. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When you came to know Christ, you were now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. See, these are those spiritual truths that don't make sense to us physically. But when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin and your weakness, your failings. He sees Jesus. And that's why he can say to Satan, did you see my servant Job? Did you see my church down there? Because God sees us holy and without fault. Not in who we are, but because we're in Christ. And he sees Christ. In Christ. It's so phenomenally important of a phrase. Two words. In Christ makes the whole difference. Okay, hey. This is only the beginning of many great and precious blessings Believers have in Christ. We're loved and we're chose, chosen before the, be, the uh, beginning of the world. And all I have to say, <laughs> not Forrest Gump this week. Got in trouble with my wife for using a Forrest Gump joke. <laughs> now I'm in trouble for saying that. <laughs> but here's what I want to say. Welcome to Ephesians, folks. This is what you get. <laughs> Who's praying for me? Firestein? Firestein, are you praying? Come on up. The rest of us will stand. Sonny, bring the band up, whatever we're going to do. 
wait till everybody's, wait till the noise settles down and don't try and pray over top of it. Father, just want to thank you so much for the message we heard today. Lord, thank you for meeting us here in this place. Lord, we ask you to help us make better decisions, make the decisions that you would have us choose. Lord, you chose us, but you also give us an opportunity to choose you, and thank you for that, Father. We need the gift of faith to make that right choice, and with all these choices that we got to make, we need that gift of faith, Lord. So please give us that. Uh, help us throughout this week, Lord, to make... Uh, really good choices and one of the best choices would be to spread your word and everything that we learned here today lord we just uh put it in, into motion in our lives and shine your light wherever we are father and i just thank you and praise you in jesus name amen, amen.